0: Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. I'm so glad you guys are here listening today. Uh, Man, this is our first guest that we have had back three times. His name is Sean Bonito. And this is, I think, I think it's the third in-person interview that we've done. So I've interviewed my parents, I interviewed my wife, and now uh, this is the first, I guess, non-blood member <laughs> who's on the podcast in person. Sean came down to visit me for a couple of days, and he just wanted a little bit of a retreat, and I managed to squeeze a little bit of work stuff out of him, including this interview, and we got into some really cool stuff, talking about inner child work, talking about how to really recover from parts of your past, and how to make sense of why We do the things that we do as adults that sometimes you know confound us and perplex us so it's very insightful sean has the uh the heart of a coach in really the most incredible way and we're talking about some possible collaborations and some joining of forces between what we're doing here at deep clean and what he's got going on with secret habits so stay tuned for that we'll keep you posted probably in a future interview down the road But in the meantime, this is a chance for you guys to get some really valuable tools to learn a framework that we've had other people like Dr. Eddie Caparucci talk about. Um, Sean's actually did his certification, which I found out in the interview. And we kind of just do a bit more of a deep dive. You get a little bit of a different angle on it. And ultimately, if you apply what you learn in this episode, you will become a better man. You'll become a better husband you become a better father. You will start to understand yourself better and relate to others better as a result. And I can tell you from my own personal experience doing this kind of work, it is totally game-changing. It's not always the easiest work, but man, oh man, is, is it ever effective. And I know if that was the case for me, if that's been the case for our clients and many of the other people I know that have done this kind of work, there's no reason it wouldn't be the case for you as well. So you guys are about to learn a lot. You're gonna get stretched and you're gonna get a really valuable framework that's gonna help you further in your recovery. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's my interview with Sean Bonito. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, this man is no stranger to the podcast, Sean. Welcome back. I think this is your third time. Third wow. time
1: here and in person this time.
0: In person, man. I wish I could do every interview like this. It's, it's been so fun, man. We just had breakfast together. This is like uh for you guys listening. Sean and I, we've known each other for four years. Was it 2019 that yeah, we got? Going training? on four years. Going on four years. And you were moving across the country when we met. Yeah. And we were both kind of just dipping our toes in the porn addiction recovery yeah, space. That's right. Big vision. No freaking clue how to do any of it. And we've managed to just like stay in touch and and I, I would say build like a legitimate friendship. Yeah. 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 Each other through some different seasons and um and then we just met in person for the first time this morning so it's like it's just kind of crazy it's really cool to have you here man it it is awesome
1: yeah the traveling across canada had the phone call yeah that was really neat we got connected by andrew so humble beginnings and i think we were having a zoom call phone call every two three weeks or so for a season there yeah there's some cool connection time
0: yeah and we've built like a little bit of a like there's kind of a a hub of us like drew has become kind of like a really good mutual friend And even some of the other people, I guess it's a lot of the husband material guys. Like I'm thinking of Stephen Thomas and uh, Thomas, yeah, Stephen Thomas and some of those guys. And um, it's been fun, man. So very cool to have you here. Uh, Why don't you give us a little life update, man? You got some big things coming up. Yeah, yeah,
1: big life update for sure. So what is it today? May eighth or something as the recording. So you know, on the thirtieth of May, my wife and I are moving our family, our daughter Violet, over to the Czech Republic so we're making a big move about two years ago I started really sensing in my heart that God wanted us to be there it was after a trip that we had taken uh, it was the first time we've been to check with Violet our daughter and yeah. just seeing how she was with family huh. and then also just sensing the Lord wanted to do something with me in the Czech Republic they like Canadians they like English speaking Canadians <laughs> and they funny. also like English speaking Canadians that like beer yeah. so so it was a good deal, and I really, when I go there, I meet people who like me, and there's just this cool opportunity to reach people that there's already this sense of connection.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just feel like there's such a place for the gospel, and I really started feeling that on my heart. And I told Helena after we got back from that trip that God was working on my heart to move to the Czech Republic, and that's a whole other story. But it Would took it like took break that off. In Jesus? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Soul tie. <laughs> took like a year and a half of just discernment and prayer and hard conversations to get to the point now where we're moving there. So we're three weeks away from changing our whole life and just asking the Lord to provide things that I'm going into a lot of just unknown with the language. I won't be able to drive a car for probably about a year because of the driver's licenses. Helena will have to translate everything for me. So I'm going to actually be like a child for a season (laughs) where a lot of will in some ways be my mom. It's going to be a really weird dynamic. So we're going into
0: just totally trusting God. Wow, wow, that's crazy. And I, I guess it's um, it's the opposite of our situation. So you know we're in Jamaica a couple months a year. That's where Shaloma's from. And if I ever told Shaloma that the Lord told me we're moving to Jamaica, like she would have the room packed up before I could finish the sentence. She would be so ready. So it's, it's funny that Helena would have that response. And we were talking about this over breakfast. You, you, like she, I guess the check represents something to her that's not necessarily easy. Yes. And so the idea of moving there means she has to confront some challenging things. Yes. So you're, you're obviously going to have some logistical challenges. She's going to have some psychological challenges a little yes. bit. Um, And it, I kind of begs this question for me at least is why not move to BC where you're from yeah then like you guys are already in Canada, that would be a much more natural move. Um, but I know there's a story there as well. And I think it'd be good yeah, for our listeners to hear yeah, that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That is the logical thing to do, right? Move to BC where my family's there. Violet would be around grandparents. It would be the same country. It's just never been something we have felt like we're meant to do. So we've prayed about it. We've thought about it. We've even talked to my parents about them buying a, a home and we would live in the home with them, mm. which... Sounds appealing, but it's really not that appealing. Um, yeah, so we've, we've thought so much about like, what's best for us as children of God and what's best for Violet. And it's not a, Helena's family is better than my family. We really tried to keep it away from this com- competitiveness of families. Yeah. We really just wanted to root it in the Lord and say, what is God doing? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's doing something first in my heart, that's pretty scary like moving across the world where somewhere I don't speak the language or we're going to live in a rural area where English is not, not happening. Like it's 20 minutes away to get to any English probably. So I I just like, that's what God does. Like I just really truly believe that. So when we think about Violet, our daughter, we think about our future, BC just never, ever came up. We went there for Christmas just to really spend some time with family as it was our last trip to see them before we move. And it was kind of that one last door closed to say This is not where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that was a crazy trip. That's when the snowstorms happened in the winter of Canada. So we got stuck in Calgary for three days. It was almost like God was just saying that this is not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And it was just all these signs. And some of them were really hard and almost re-traumatizing. Some of them were beautiful. But it was just God saying, you're meant to be in the Czech Republic. And we've just honestly, the last month or two, seen God opening up door after door after door with meeting new people. Yeah. Helena had a chance to blog on a on a website for a company that's called Napornu, which is like Say No to Porn. It's a Czech organization that helps fight pornography. Oh, and there's nothing else like that in the country. Wow. And the church that we're going to probably end up going to um, – the The owner of this organization goes to the church in another city that partners as the church plant. Oh, so we're just wow. seeing all these little connections happening where we know God's hand is in it. It's not just like, Oh wow. Well, like housing prices are a little bit better. You know, our money's going to go further. It's like God is doing this and God is doing that. And then all that
0: other stuff is a blessing. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. That, and that is so God, like you, you take a step out. I often say like trusting God is like jumping off a cliff. Only to find out there's more cliff there than you realize, yeah, right? Yeah. But you have to jump first. Otherwise, you'll never know about yeah. the rest of the cliff. So let me ask you this because um, we, we were saying this before. Like you, you mentioned going back home to BC was a little bit retraumatizing. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people would hear that and maybe be surprised mm-hmm. because they see Sean's got secret habit. Yeah. He's killing it. He's helping all these guys get free of porn. Cynthia's got deep clean. Um, you know, Dr. Joe Martin, another mutual friend of ours. Yeah who, you know, he often, when he looks at me, he's like, you come from good stock, man. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't negate the work I did. That's you know right. I mean? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm very fortunate, you know, like my parents are amazing and, and I didn't have the, the super traumatic childhood. But you, you did have some dynamics growing up that, had, that kind of led you on this journey and eventually to a place of freedom. What was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah. So my mom visited last summer. With my sister to Halifax and I got some inside scoops into my childhood that I never knew before. And it, that alone was really eye-opening as to why my struggle with pornography was so severe. So I was actually able to get free over the last five and a half years from pornography masturbation without even knowing some of the core trauma. Wow. And I hope that's encouraging to people.
0: Yeah. Cause
1: like my mom had postpartum depression so bad that she would lock me in my bedroom as a kid so that she wouldn't hurt me. Whoa. Like I found that out from my mom mm. that she would lock me in my bedroom for hours huh. so she wouldn't hurt me. Wow. And I didn't know that until last summer.
0: Huh.
1: And it just you just look back at I look back at my life I'm like no wonder there was such a fear of intimacy, a fear of abandonment, yeah. a fear of my mom. Yeah. Like I told my mom when I was 4 that I'm afraid of her. I still at times feel afraid of her and that's what was re-traumatizing over Christmas was being around my mom in this environment that was hers, not mine. So when she visited us, it was our environment. Mm. We could control to some degree the the spirit being there and what was going on. But being in their environment, it just didn't feel safe. Huh. And it just made my nervous system go crazy. I'm really proud of myself that I handled it really well. Like, I di- I definitely did some inner child work. Yeah. Like, it was amazing. I, I I was able to handle it. I even confronted my mom. Could have done it with more love, but I yeah. actually confronted her, which I would never have done that before because it was so unsafe. Huh. But I felt more confident in Jesus than anything else. And I was able to confront her. It was painful. We're now re- doing some reconciliation, but... yeah. Man, it was really hard to be in a place that not only like that was my upbringing of un, uh, feeling unsafe, but then going back there as an adult with my daughter, bringing mm-hmm. her now into a place that felt felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. So it was very traumatizing, and just really realizing that, man,
0: I don't know how to trust my mom. Wow. Yeah, a lot of listeners probably would vibe with that because I've I've shared quite a bit about my experience when with my yes. my mom. And how that relationship played into my porn addiction and everything else. And um, it is it is interesting. It's interesting, those dynamics, even the, the stories that you hear later on. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about this over breakfast. I uh, was just on a cruise with my family. And there was one night we were having dinner together. And we were talking about, like, all the just mishaps that happened when we were kids. Like... My brother got sent to the ER like the Lord only knows how many yeah. times. And I swallowed like laundry or dishwasher detergent. I've and, done that. Yeah, <laughs> There was like all these stories. And there was one particular story. And I won't, I won't expose anyone in my family too badly here. But we heard about kind of how it was handled. And you could just tell all of us as kids, we were a little bit mortified like That actually what you guys did? You know, and it was you could tell even as as my parents were sharing it, that they were a little bit like you could tell they were realizing, like, oh my gosh, what did we do? You know? And it's just interesting how these things sort of come out later on. And um, the the part that I hope everybody heard you say though is that you found out these things after you got free. And that's really encouraging news because I I think sometimes maybe people hear like, okay, you need to do inner child work, gotta work through your trauma, gotta work through parts of your past. And I know for me, I'm an all or nothing guy. So in my head, I'm like, okay, perfect. Then I guess I, I better do all of it. Like I'll just, I'll surrender. I'll let my defenses down. Let's do all of it. And it just doesn't work like yeah. that, right? Like it, it comes in layers. It comes in waves. And there really is no such thing as all of it. It's just your heart starts to notify you when it's when it's ready to process different things. And and then other, other times things just come out as time goes on. So I thought that was really interesting. You were telling me that you've been really uh, seeing some success with, inner child work which obviously you're bread and butter but um specifically it sounds like you've been able to get there a bit more quickly with your clients lately yeah. what are you doing to to get there in a more direct way
1: yeah yeah, yeah there's inner child work that i really appreciate guys like eddie Caparucci, like yeah. drew boas kick butt with the big brother coaching um I've just kind of taken things from them. I got certified with Eddie, so I can I can use this stuff. That's yeah. good. Yeah. But what I really feel is working is finding the areas of an 8-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy that became afraid of loss or afraid of abandonment or became controlling of money or controlling of situations and really realizing that even if that boy was, quote-unquote, a Christian in a mm-hmm. Christian home, that boy wasn't experiencing Jesus in the way that he needed to. Hmm. So how does that boy experience Jesus in her child work, right? So I, I, this situation we had two weeks ago with a client, this, this session was so powerful. He emailed me after and said, like, his whole life is different. Wow! Like he said he had the best week of his life after our session. He's in his <laughs> 60s. Oh my That's
0: gosh.
1: incredible. And I won't go into detail, but it was him as a 14-year-old boy in his bedroom alone after the situation that happened with his family. Time and time again would happen over and over. And we simply invited Jesus into what that boy was believing Mm. and thinking and feeling. And just asked Jesus to show up and speak and touch him Mm. in a loving way. And it just blessed this guy so much. And that just sounds too simple. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what we need is the creator of the universe to enter into our story and our life and touch us in ways that we missed out on growing up. And it's so moving to the spirit because I have a new client who went to Bible college and he, you can just tell when guys go to Bible college and they only had an information based learning Mm -hmm. is their fellowship with God has, there's no grounds to it. They understand God is loving, but they mix up fellowship and relationship with God and they feel like their sin is still causing rupture in his love, which obviously we know you and I would know that's not true, but it's like, how do you go to Bible college for like three, four years and still not understand unconditional love?
0: Yeah, it's wild. And when, when you think about the level of authority and influence that even a, a pastor would have, you would think that having some experiential knowledge of the love of God would be a part of that because, that's the vessel that all of this great information, like not knocking the education system, yeah. super valuable. But all that good theology is going to come through some vessel. And if that vessel is broken, if it has a history of abuse, if it's struggling with pornography behind closed doors, that's going to taint all that great knowledge anyway. And I know for me, that was my experience in ministry school was like, why did nobody tell me about this before? Because I was finally experiencing Jesus in, in depths that I didn't even know were possible so I I guess I don't want to I don't want to talk too high level and and have people not really understand what what we're actually talking about. Let's give it an example. You I guess you kind of just did, but maybe we'll give another example. So you have a client they're struggling with porn addiction, and you know that they you can just tell from the way they're talking they haven't done any inner child work. Maybe they've even blocked out most of their past because it was too traumatic or you know whatever it might be what are, what are the prompts or what are you directing people through to get to that place where you've unlocked a memory that holds significance? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great question. That's really what at the heart of this is like, how do I do that? And even like, even just pausing before we even get into how to do that is like acknowledging the fact that it takes courage to do inner child work. Yeah. Like I, I sat in my bathtub, like, tuesday or wednesday night and did my own inner child work and i was afraid to do it because yeah. it's just like i'm in such a full season even the idea of slowing down right now feels a little bit scary because i'm so go 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 with the move and the business and everything i was like man so even just first just to acknowledge first thing is to just realize that this takes courage and there's something special when you show up to do inner child work. Like that's powerful. Second thing is it takes compassion. So just really checking your heart to make sure that you're ready to offer that boy compassion
0: Mm.
1: because we are just programmed as children. We're put into an environment that we can't just change tomorrow. (laughs) Like as adults, we can spend money and change our environment as kids. We can't do that. So like that would be the two introductories for this is just really realizing that this takes courage, it takes compassion. And then from there, When somebody doesn't understand their past or maybe is foggy in their memory, I just ask them to take a couple deep breaths, close their eyes, and ask Jesus, reveal a moment in my childhood that still carries pain Mm -hmm. or shame or fear or anything else that is hindering me from living a life of... That's so
0: good. Well, that's what I really appreciated about your approach um, because I I can speak for myself. I was that guy. I was. I was numb. I don't. It's not that I had a traumatic childhood and I block things out. I. But I just had a hard time accessing those parts of the past. I had very few memories from when I was young, and I still would say I have relatively like a low number of memories. But that the Holy Spirit has just been my saving grace because it's like I don't need to go unlock all these memories. I just need to unlock the memory for that moment. That's right that I'm trying to you know process something or heal something or work through something or whatever it might be. So I love that. I love that integration. So why then? Okay, so you you ask the Holy Spirit, you invite Jesus in, and suddenly, boom, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, quote, unquote, <laughs> That's right. this memory comes up. And it's like, oh, my, I remember a bunch of these moments. Oh, my gosh, I, I completely forgot about that. I would have never in a million years remembered that had the Holy Spirit not prompted me. So there it is. There's the memory. And you talked about bringing Jesus into the memory. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah, so there's usually
1: two ways I'll do this with a client. Sometimes there is a opportunity for them to experience a memory Well, they'll actually see like a memory being lived out where client might be biking on the road alone and it's just realizing things around him are changing and it's terrifying to him that he's not ready to grow up or he's not ready to go through life yet because his parents are forcing him to do things. Or they might just picture the boy. Really, the goal is to locate the boy. That's like terminology that I got from Drew, like locating the boy. Is that just the boy that you just have a picture of him? Maybe you just picture sitting across from him on the couch, or maybe you have this vivid memory of your dad yelling at you or your mom enmeshing you. It doesn't really matter what it is as long as there's something that comes up. We just want to locate the boy. And then we go into a practice. Sometimes I'll get Jesus. I'll ask them to invite Jesus in right away to to speak for them on behalf of them and just really speak into this child. It really depends on their level of what I can sense of their compassion, of their readiness. Sometimes we'll start with just, hey, why don't you imagine yourself entering into this picture Mm -hmm. and inviting yourself into a conversation with this boy and I always say, you know him better than anybody other than Jesus. So you would know exactly what he needs right now. You would know exactly what he would want from somebody right now. What would it look like to offer him that? Mm-hmm. And it's usually this little subtle knock on the door. Hey, buddy, I'd love to have a chat with you. Can I come in? And just compassionate. Mm-hmm. Exactly what we often don't get growing up when we have traumatized
0: stories. So are you finding often the memories that come up are memories where there was some sort of unmet need? Is that typically at the basis of it? Definitely. And in a porn addiction recovery context, my the listeners, you, you guys will resonate with that because our operative question when you do catch yourself in a slip or a relapse is, what was porn offering me? Because if you can nail down what it was offering you, then you actually have hope of coming up with yes. a better solution, right? That's right. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of willpower and white knuckling. So that's why this is so powerful is because not only are you identifying a need, but you're identifying the origin or at least part of where that unmet need kind of all began, Yes, right?
1: yes. Where the unmet need began and then the beliefs you became or began to believe because of the unmet need.
0: Right. Unmet. Right. And that's a very important layer to this, right? It's not just the unmet need. It's the conclusions we draw yes. about it that really can cause a lot of harm or a lot of good, right? Depending yeah. on, you know, our state. Yeah. So... Someone might hear that if they haven't done it before and just go, Sean, that's just imagination. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would love to, you know, I'd love to imagine I have a million bucks. It doesn't put a million bucks in my account. Why is it that, you know, entering the memory or inviting Jesus into that memory, what does that do psychologically that it's actually changing somebody to the point that that 60-year-old guy is saying, like, I've never felt like this before. Like, what did you do to me? This is amazing. That's right.
1: Yeah. I think there's like two elements to that. The first one is changing our narrative around stories. Right. So I remember this, I think it might've been in how the body keeps score the book. He was talking about this boy who experienced seeing the 9-11 tragedy. And then he went home that Day and was able to talk to his parents about it, and actually drew a picture about like at the bottom of the building there was a trampoline. He was able to create this different narrative of not what happened, but what he imagined happening. Mm -hmm. And it's not the fact that it changes history, but it changes the narrative in his mind. It didn't. His body didn't go into like such a shock state. He was able to see things differently. And some people might think of that as hoo ha, but like God has given us a mind that can imagine. We need to tap into that, right? Like if fantasy was created, it must have been created for good things. We want to be able to use that. And we can see that like left side of the brain, right side of the brain. The right side of the brain is very imaginative. It's very creative. We want to use that. And so often as men, we don't. We're mechanical. We're logical. We're functional (laughs) as we were laughing about this morning with the kitchen. (laughs) But, But that's the first thing. And then the second thing is really understanding that one of the things we need to do is create new opportunities to experience safety Mm. when we didn't have safety. Mm. And how cool is that, that we can do that in our imagination? Like, mm. that's amazing. You can tap into that any day you want. Yeah. And that actually begins to retrain your body's, your nervous system, your fear response. Like, that's amazing. Like, God has created that opportunity for us to be able to tap into our imagination yeah. and not so much change experiences, but almost relive them as if they were different. Yeah. And it changes the way we see, wow, when I was 14, Jesus met me. Rather than when I was
0: fourteen, my mom abandoned me. Yeah, right. And it's and just so people know, we're not. It's not about negating the facts of that trauma, right? Nothing, nothing can change what's happened, but it's that narrative, like you're saying, like it's the nervous system's response. That's where that's where the real impact is. As you were talking, it was reminding me of um, the story I had when I was. I, I would say it was a lot. I was more deeply invested in inner child work. Not that I, I'm not anymore, but it's an ongoing theme, but it kind of comes in waves. And I remember um, I had this this discovery that my brother and I played a lot of sports as you know, as brothers do just in the backyard or whatever. And I always wanted my dad to come play with us, whether it was like playing catch or playing road hockey or whatever. And my dad's not athletic at all. <clears throat> and not only that, but he didn't grow up in Canada. So even the sports that they would have played, that we, he would have had basic skills, were just very different. You don't play road hockey growing up in yeah, India, right? right. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. F- field hockey, maybe, yeah. right? So, um, so he always he always shied away from it, and I don't know. I don't I didn't think anything of it, and then it came up one day, and I realized, man, that really bothered me actually, like because I wanted. Here I was, like asking my dad for quality time, my top love language, and he basically wasn't willing to do it because of his own insecurities and whatever and so i I remember i was I was just in a probably a couple days span of processing this memory, just you know working through it, forgiving, whatever. And this was in ministry school. so we we had every Friday afternoon they did an hour of soaking, which is like basically they just put on instrumental music. You invite the Holy Spirit to come, and then you just receive. It's just about like bathing in God's presence, quote unquote, where God can do things that sometimes our conscious would impede. Yeah. But when you're kind of just in a place of rest, he's just able to do stuff that you don't even realize is going on. And I remember they put the music on and I, you know, found my little spot. I got comfy and I closed my eyes and I saw a picture of Jesus with a baseball glove wow. and he was like, let's go play catch. <laughs> oh man. And it, it just wrecked me. That's so good. And it was like, I wasn't even looking for it, mm. but there he was like re- repairing the memory, so to speak, you know? And, um, and I, I mean, I, I'm i able to talk. I even talked to my dad about this stuff now. Like he's he, he he's been really apologetic. He didn't realize how much it meant to me. But he also knows that like I don't hold any of it against him. But just amazing the way Jesus is able to, um, I would say, compensate for the shortcomings of those people in our lives. Um, or some, sometimes it's not even a person. Sometimes it's just a situation. Um, but Jesus is able to compensate and be there for us to the point that yeah our nervous system responds differently. I see myself differently. My relationship with my dad is different, and that's incredibly powerful, even though it sounds a little bit like head in the clouds, yeah
1: kind of stuff right oh, dude, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I love that picturing Jesus with a
0: baseball bat, yeah, go play, yeah, man, that's so cool, yeah, and no prompting like yeah. he was just there. I closed my eyes and he was yeah. there. you know it was amazing wow,
1: yeah, it makes me think of a session a few weeks ago. This client, again, another, very often like bedroom stories, because it's so often where boys spend time alone, like video games, just crying because they don't want anyone to see them crying, right? It's so common. But I I remember asking him to invite Jesus into this picture, and he's like, he just started weeping. He said, he's always been there. And, like, he never thought of it that way. Right. And for someone who's, like, maybe been through this kind of work before, it's like, oh, of course he's always been there. But that part of him didn't believe that. Yeah. That boy didn't believe anyone was there for him. He believed he was alone. Yeah. And to actually experience Jesus in that picture, that'll change your life. Just like Saul on the road of Damascus, right? Seeing the risen Jesus changed his life. Yeah. Why is this any different?
0: That's such a good point. And it, it's, um, it, man, I, I just got a flood of memories as you were saying that, which I, I won't delve into. <laughs> but it's, it's true. Sometimes when you go through this work, Jesus enters the room. And it's, there's, there's just a great comfort and a safety of like, okay, I'm not alone or whatever. Jesus is here. But other times, you get a different vantage point of the same moment, and there is Jesus yes. standing behind you holding you, making sure you don't fall or yeah. whispering some encouragement into your ear or whatever it is. And that's that's a great distinction, right? That sometimes he was he was there all along. But again, we need that experience of it. It's not enough to just frivolously say it as Christian rhetoric. Yeah. Like we have to actually experience it, it to the point that it impacts our nervous system. Yeah. That's kind of what we're getting at yeah, here. Because right. if all it does is impact your brain, which is not the same as your nervous system, yeah. part of it, but not the same thing. Um, that may not be enough for you to just have cognitive knowledge of like, yeah, Jesus is everywhere. He's always there. Yeah. But no, in that, in that moment, when you were getting bullied, Jesus was actually there like holding some of those punches so that they didn't hurt you as much or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, dude, That's so good.
1: And it's like law, lo- like in our brain, so often we think logically, If that worked, we would feel safer in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Safety is at the heart of our nervous system, right? Is our nervous system in that green zone. If you see that picture of the nervous system, that's where we experience the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Like we can't, I don't really believe our, our ability to experience God fully can happen in that red zone, fight, flight, fawn. You just can't because your body is not working the way it needs to work to slow down and surrender. Yeah. So like the green zone is the Holy Spirit zone yeah. and that's how we experience
0: him is in the depth of our heart, yeah. our
1: soul, our spirit, not just our brain.
0: That's really good. Yeah, um, Dr. Caroline Leaf was actually in St. Catharines yesterday. Oh, cool! So she, there you go. Two big time people flew to St. Catharines yesterday, man. If the Leafs
1: won it'd be so Oh crazy. man.
0: Okay, we won't go there. <laughs> we keep this on a high note, but uh, but she was showing some of those scans of the green zone and how the brain can change uh, very quickly. You know what? We didn't get a chance to go, so I watched it online afterwards. Um, but I have a couple of friends that attend the church, and they said it was really good. Um, that, that, that stuff is, is for real. So let's drive this home a little bit. What what's on the other side? So somebody does inner child work. Maybe they don't feel comfortable. They're not ready to reach out to someone, but they're listening to this podcast and they're saying, okay, I can I can try that. I'm gonna go try that tonight. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit for memory. And if a memory comes up, I'm gonna say, Jesus, where are you in this and what are you doing? What, what's the other side of this? Cause I, I think uh, I'll share a little bit of my experience. I obviously I shared like one specific me- moment that was life changing for me. Jesus wants to play catch with me, but I've gone through this process many times where I'm like, okay, I'm glad I did it, but I still feel like the same Cynthia afterwards. Right. And isn't that like 90% of recovery anyway? Like you're doing the work and it's like, Oh, I, I hope, I hope that, that did something. That's right. right? You hear that's all these right. great stories. So you're like, I'm pretty sure this stuff works, but it's really the 10% of the time where you can actually feel like, oh, I've changed, something shifted. I feel like a majority of it's not really the case. Um, but in that, let, let's talk about the 10% first for inner child work specifically. What can people expect in that 10% when inner child work is really making a notable impact? Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I think that's really, that's really where when Jesus enters in and we feel... Feel him and
1: experience him. We know that when that part of us gets triggered to take control again or to go into the fear of abandonment, we've experienced Jesus meet us in that lie or in that fear so much so that we'll never be the same.
0: Mm.
1: Like it's kind of that man in the mirror moment. It's kind of that, you know, Holy Spirit infusing someone moment. Like the moment someone gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, like you'll feel different. Like that 10%, if you've been there or are there or trying to get there, you'll feel. Different. Trust me, yeah. you can't deny it. Yeah, you just can't avoid the change. Yeah, like the Holy Spirit will meet you, and it'll be incredible. Yeah, there's also a level of you being able to continually offer compassion to that boy, because again, that boy wasn't choosing what he happened to him. He wasn't choosing to get his needs unmet. Yeah. So when that part of you experiences an unmet need, it's natural that that part of you is going to get triggered. Yeah. So really making sure that that is understood, offering compassion to that boy. But when you experience Jesus meeting that need, like a baseball bat and a glove, let's go play. Mm. I I just don't think you can ever be the same. And that's kind of where we get into the argument of like, one saved, always saved, or are they saved? We're not going to go there. (laughs) But it's really like, once you've experienced the Holy Spirit for real, I don't think
0: you can go back. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you you're talking about kind of the difference between fellowship versus relationship, right? And I was thinking back to so the same season of my life when I was doing a lot of deeper inner child work. And I remember moments with friends where like we really had heart-to-heart moments. You're just sharing about trauma, you're sharing about parts of your past and for me super liberating to just let my hair down not be judged and that it does something to you in the relationship, right? When you you share a good cry together, you have a moment together. You know, Shaloma and I were in Indiana last week. Uh, visiting some friends who lost a father. And um, the guy in particular that we had shown up to really support, this guy's like all jokes all the time. Yeah. And even even it's pretty difficult times, he's still like joking around. And, and I know that that's how he's processing and grieving. And that's the way he is. That's totally fine. And so we were saying goodbye to them. And as, as we are leaving, he starts to choke up. And I'm like, oh, no, don't. Because if you start crying, I'm going to I'm gonna ball, man. And he's just expressing his gratitude. And it was a really special moment. And Shaloma knows him really well. They're friends from Jamaica. I am just getting to know him. But after I have that moment, I feel like a deeper connection to him. I'm like, oh, I love that guy. You know, it's different. And it's crazy, but this actually translates to your relationship with Jesus. Because you go through these deep parts of your past. You have an emotional moment with Jesus where he's coming in. He's the, he's making you feel safe. He's comforting you. He's whatever protecting you. And you can't, it's exactly what you said. Like you just, you can't go back to the way things were after you have those kinds of moments. They just, they put like these irreversible deposits into the relationship that are there forever. And that is like, That's the essence of relationship with Christ. Like, how long have we been hearing, it's not about about religion, it's about a relationship. And to me, like, some of these inner child components are what really drove that concept home. Because I'm like, oh, now I get it. Because now I actually feel that emotional connection to Jesus, as opposed to just knowing him cerebrally, right? That changes everything. And that's what I've been
1: seeing with clients I've been working with is really the heart of it is that experience with Jesus. Yeah. Because I I do think to some degree inner child work can feel a bit like self-help in a way, like I'm the person who's going to help my inner child when really at the heart of it needs to be Jesus.
0: Yes. Yeah. And Jesus directed, like bringing up the memories and then really Jesus centered at the end of it. Like he, he should be getting the glory for what's taking place. The cool thing for me, um, just to drive this home a little bit more, is after you have these moments, I, I remember at some point along the way, uh, in this journey, I was sitting down, I was sitting on the couch that I always sit down on to spend my time with God. but I, but the sense of his nearness was so different. I was not like reading scripture to hit my quota. I was like reading scripture so that I could have great dialogue with the living God who was like sitting right beside me and again just all these different components become reality when you've done this inner child work yeah.
1: and even think about like the next time you're watching sports center and you see baseball like you'll always remember yeah. jesus yeah. like you'll right. have these cues you're at the park with your wife and and you're just gonna see someone playing baseball and you'll remember Jesus. So you yeah. start having these experiences that go beyond just hanging out on your couch. Yeah. And like, that's what thriving looks like mm. is your life
0: becomes about Jesus. Right. So on on the other side of it for you, Sean, like you've been doing this work for a while. You said five and a half years? I've been doing, I've been
1: doing coaching, coaching for almost for five. five. Wow. I've been doing inner child work for probably about two, yeah. but certified for about maybe like, 8 months so I just kind of added some extra layers to how I do
0: it and it's been really fruitful. Oh I didn't I didn't know you had done that but I mean Dr. Eddie is a yeah. fan favorite of the podcast yeah, so sure. that's awesome that you did his course. So what happens when somebody does inner child work um 2 years, 5 years, 10 years later cuz I purposely my audience knows this but like I'm trying to condition my listeners to think long term about everything but for sure about recovery because Without a long-term mindset, you will not succeed in recovery. It's pretty much impossible. So what happens later on down the road? Like you're going to have these initial bursts where you kind of get an injection into your recovery. That's the 10%. We will talk about yeah. the 90%. I haven't forgotten about that. But long-term, like what, is, what are some of the other benefactors of going through this process? Well, for me, I didn't even learn about
1: inner child work until like two years ago. Yes. So I was almost four years sober fr- and free.
0: Right. So
1: I just want people to know that it has enhanced my freedom greatly yeah. and has helped me experience Jesus like never before. But I was experiencing freedom before that. And a lot of that was through story work mm-hmm. and understanding my story mm-hmm. and just even I would even say more left brain, mm-hmm. which I don't think unlocks the ultimate freedom as now I've unlocked more of the right brain, but yeah. just to give people hope, like yeah. I didn't do recovery super well and it, and it, and it worked. Like yeah, yeah. when I started recovery, I was more purity culture. Cause that's what I was taught. Like every man's battle. I had that book and I am so sad for that boy or that man at uh, 25 years old who had that terrible book. Yeah. But, um, the biggest thing for, for me, and I'll use myself as an example is I'm constantly looking at areas of my life that continue to carry shame or pain or where I become controlling very easily. And I and I don't look at that as like, oh, like, Sean, you're just so lazy. You're just like, why can't you just... It's like, wow, there's a part of me that is still scared. Mm. There's a part of me that still doesn't trust Jesus. And it shifts the focus. And I'll give a quick story. Please. This is really real. So we're moving to check. I decided helena and i both decided to send our passports in for my renewal so i didn't have to do it in check and then helena yeah and then helena just became a canadian citizen it was her first canadian passport so we did on april 12th april 19th government strike
0: right like
1: i literally need a passport to go to check and i can't get one so i am freaking out like (laughs) freaking out like crazy it was like 8 p.m like on a Thursday morning Thursday night when I found this out and I I couldn't go to bed that night I was so dysregulated Mm -hmm. I called a few friends they didn't answer I decided to text a few people and then I just decided to just watch the Leafs game and (laughs) pray and pray (laughs) that's when they were playing um Tampa Bay Bay, so it was a good game (laughs) it was a good game (laughs) and I don't really care who wins I just like hockey but it was just like I just need something to regulate myself. And it was actually a cool moment for me to realize that the hockey game actually did that for me hmm. like that. I was actually really therapeutic for me Yeah, just to watch some hockey, which is something I don't do a lot. Yeah. And it just to give insight to people. Like it doesn't have to be this like recovery thing you do. Like have fun, do yeah. something that you enjoy. You'll find regulation in that. And it was after the game I was able to go to bed. But the next morning I had to go, I started work at, I don't know, 930 or something and helena and i are realizing like if we don't figure out what we're gonna do with these passports we are we're screwed like i'm screwed and we had to make a decision that we'd rush down to the passport office and see what they would do for us but my inner child went crazy this like overwhelming fear that i'm not gonna be able to go to the czech republic just reminded me of all the times of my childhood where my parents were very early to things all the time yeah. Like, they were always at the door 30 minutes early before needing to leave. Or they'd get places 30 minutes early. So anything last minute makes little Sean crumble. Hmm. Helen and I were going for a walk. And on this walk, this is when we decided we have to rush to the passport office. My body literally shut down. I almost fell over. I went dizzy. And I Whoa. almost puked.
0: Oh, my god!
1: Like, we're, like, on the trail with our daughter. And I had to sit down because I almost puked and passed out. Like, my, my body literally shut down. Wow. And like Han and I were having a conversation in the car before this, and I got out and I slammed the door, and that was how I how I you know expressed anger as a child is I'd slam things, I'd throw things. Mm. And just realizing like I don't need to shame myself right now. Yeah. What I actually need to do is invite Jesus into this part of me that is terrified. Mm. And it took me like about an hour to be able to come up to the place of being able to do that. Yeah. But on the drive home, I repented of what I did. Helen and I had a really hard conversation, how I didn't handle it well. Yeah. But then I was able to invite Jesus into this boy that is petrified of, We're, I'm moving my family across the world and I might not have a passport. Yeah. And just having compassion for this boy that's being reminded of all the times that his his parents crumbled in fear un, under pressure. All the times that he just wanted attention from somebody through, he threw his lacrosse stick or he threw his tennis racket and inviting Jesus into this boy and asking this boy to give up control to Jesus. If Jesus is called into the Czech Republic, Jesus is going to provide. And this boy just didn't believe that. So that's like a perfect example of Sean (laughs) utterly failing, but not in a condemning way. Right. Right. The child doesn't know any better. Yeah. I need to take responsibility and I did. Yeah. But realizing that like, that's not adult Sean. Like I don't act like that 99% of my times. Yeah. So what's going on there? Yeah.
0: There's a child that needs attention. Oh man, that's so good. Thank you for being so candid. Yeah. Um, we had Dr. Trish Lee speak to our clients uh, last month. <clears throat> Excuse me. She was amazing. And yeah. she, um, we were, we got talking a little bit about preventative strategies and she made a great distinction. I I don't know if this were her, these weren't her words. I think these are more my words. But basically, what she was saying is there's a difference between being preventative and being proactive. Because um, what we want to try to do at all costs is not be reactive. That's kind of the worst, right? Is where, where you're it's too late. Preventative means like you've done enough work. That would be like doing years of childhood in your childhood work. Excuse me. To the point that things that would typically stress you out no longer stress you out. Like it doesn't even come up. But what you just demonstrated is kind of that middle ground of being proactive. Where And I think this is a huge benefactor is that that understanding of like, man, I'm super dysregulated right now. I need to go find something that's going to help me regulate. Oh, hockey. I love hockey. This is actually really helping me calm down. Um, Like being able to clean up your mess early, like proactively, if I can use that language, is incredibly powerful. Because I'm going to guess that Sean... Six, seven, eight years ago, in that same situation, probably would have ended up edging, maybe relapsing, oh, yeah. right? Because you you just you don't have that same kind of proactivity about you, um, and I I think that's that's incredible. I, I want to pump your tires a little bit more because <laughs> I've seen you go through major life changes. We met when you were moving across the country. Yeah. I've seen you start a business, you start a podcast. Um, you're doing all that with your wife, which has, I would say, probably twice the potential, but uh, probably 10 times the challenge. That's right. That's a good way to like, put it. <laughs> but like Shaloma and I still can't write music together. I don't know what it is. When we were dating, we were like, it was like a gold mine. Everything we wrote turned to gold. And as soon as we pledged our allegiance to one another, we just, we cannot do it. So give you huge props. Um, now Violet, did you say Violet's over two years old yeah, now. Yeah, or two. Is, I can't believe that. Yeah. Um, so you raised a kid and you have handled so many challenges along the way, some tumultuous partnerships, some isolation, some like just all kinds of stuff. And you've really kept your head on straight. You've held your integrity while you've done everything. And you've consistently like invested in your own development. Like I've never seen a, a part of you that's like, oh, I've already done this work. And you're just kind of like a dog turning, returning to its vomit. Like you've always been willing to take a new approach to get you know even the certification with Eddie, which I didn't know you had done. Uh, it's just been amazing, and I feel like that's incredible fruit of all the work you've put in. Is you you actually you navigate life transitions better. You show up in your relationships differently. Um, I've seen you with Violet a little bit, and it's amazing the way you are with her. I even just even just the way you conduct yourself is incredible. So for guys who are listening, who are like you know this sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And I don't understand why I would do it. This is actually why you do it because you start showing up differently to the things that matter the most to you, your loved ones, your family, your children, your wife, and your work as well, which work is incredibly valuable, especially for a guy. Like it's so intertwined with our sense of self. And when you can show up there powerfully as well, that really does something for you, man. So I just from the outside looking in very clear that you've been doing some of this work, especially the last couple of years, like you mentioned. Uh, it goes a long way. And it's exciting to think about where you might be another five, ten years from now, when you really start to reap the fruit of the work you're doing right now. Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. That means a lot. And
1: it has been even just the last couple of years since COVID, like living in Halifax and going through having a baby with no family around. It yeah. has been a hard season. And I've seen God provide in such mighty ways. And even just like inner child work, one of the deepest lies that I believed as a new business owner was nothing I do ever works. Mm. And like, I would, I would wake up mostly daily for the first year of business and question if I should be helping people. Cause I'm just not like nothing I do ever seems to really work that much. And it's really rooted in my childhood of expecting to be disappointed by my mom. Mm. It's really powerful. And then actually like putting that on God as well. I didn't even know I was putting that on God until six months ago. Mm. Like it was always kind of this idea that I know God would bless me, but I have to work a little bit harder than everybody else for him to bless me. Mm. Just this deep lie. And Mm. like when something doesn't work, it must be because I didn't work hard enough or nothing I do ever works. Mm. And that plagued me for the first year of business. And look what God still did. Yeah, But I was continually talking to people about it. I had mentors. I was very open with Helena I went to retreats. I did the hard work to work through that. Yeah. On the days where I woke up and I just wanted to cancel all my clients, I just, I, I, I dealt with it. Yeah. You know, it was a day to day thing. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that immediate inner child freedom that like ten percent experience. But I trusted that God was working, mm-hmm. and I just kept plucking away and plucking away. And I'm just, I have so much freedom today. Like Helena's been going through a really hard season. And I've never been able to offer her so much compassion than I have been in the last six, like three, four, five months. Yeah, that makes it worth it. It's incredible, yeah. Yeah, When you have a child, you're about to move across the world, you just, it's crazy, man, what God's been able to do through. I used to be a very hard person, Hmm. and God's
0: just really softened
1: my heart so much.
0: Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. So that's actually a great segue. You're talking about like the grind of business, and it's a good segue into this 90% conversation, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because that's kind of like the – that's the thing coaches have to figure out, right? Yeah. Because every all of our clients want the 10% and they'll happily work for the 10%, yeah. but then we don't know how long it takes before they get the 10%, that's right. right? could be – there's a process here and we can only control so much of it. So I've been thinking a little bit because I would say historically I'm pretty good at the ninety percent. Like I can if, but I have to trust the process. Like I have to find someone I really trust, which is why again the research is pretty clear that you should be working with people in this arena that you trust. You need somebody you trust more than yourself. Otherwise, your client outcome is going to be really poor. So for people who are maybe in that ninety percent right now, where they're like Sean, I feel like I'm doing the work, you know, and I'm I'm doing what. Sophia says to do on the podcast i'm i'm following the secret habit curriculum and they feel like everyone else is getting that 10 percent breakthrough those moments and i'm kind of just stuck here like trudging along i guess my first question would be like number one what do you what do you say to somebody like that and I'm I'm hoping that maybe secondly, you can comment a little bit on what you've been reading with uh, Andrew Murray's book, Humility. Yeah, Because yeah. I, I feel like that factors in uh, and we were talking about that. That was, that was a cool thing we had in common that we didn't know. Yeah. Um, but that book's been recommended to us and we both got tremendous value out of it. I'm wondering if maybe you can tie that in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Far from an expert in humility, but I'm, gro- <laughs> I'm growing in it. But the first thing I'd say, and this came up with a client a few weeks ago, went through a really awful divorce a couple of years ago and it just feels like, he's putting in all the work and everyone else is being blessed. And it was just really like hard. Like he was just really in agony. And that, that really took us into a deep dive into that really understanding what is the relationship with God? What is the fellowship? Because, The relationship, we have to believe that God sees us as loved when no one else seems to love us. He's talking about the divorce, talking about his his in-laws, like everyone seems to be against him. And when that's our posture, I don't really think recovery work can work. Like our posture has to be that I am seen as righteous in the eyes of the father. Mm. Like he literally sees me as blameless, not because of my failures with pornography, but because of what Christ has done for me. Mm. I I see a lot of guys doing a lot of work, but their, their foundation is I have to work really hard to get better. I have to work really hard. So Mm. God loves me because that will never ever work, right? That's that endless treadmill. Mm. One of my mentors once said that obedience is a, is a door into a, Open meadow, not a treadmill. Yeah. We often think of obedience as a treadmill. Huh. So it's just this idea that our foundation has to be that we are truly blameless and loved by God. And it's that love that then draws us to do all of our work. Because a lot of guys have it backwards, or they're doing all of the work to experience love, right. but it has to be the opposite. And until it actually is, you can't have compassion on yourself. Mm. You can't have compassion for other people and actually work through forgiveness. You truly can't. Mm. And like, that was like, I I said, I shared this with this client and it was a really hard session. I actually thought he was going to like quit. It was hard conversation because it was so against everything he was saying. And then our session a week later, totally different person. Mm. I I started crying. It was totally different person. It blew me away. That's amazing. So that would be my first thing. And someone yeah. might be like, oh, but I, but I am living that way. I think the acid test is like, how are you offering compassion to your inner child? Right. I think that's the acid test because I've had clients where two months in, they're still seeing their inner child as this failure. It, that just doesn't work if you see it that way. Mm-hmm. So, so I would check yourself on the foundation of love. Are you working from love because you are loved? Yeah. Or are you working to get love? And then the second thing is the acid test of can you truly have compassion for the boy or the girl that was put into situations that were not their fault. Mm. Right. That's yeah. so important. And then in terms of humility, like again, I talked to this client about humility and, and I I'm learning about this. I realize how much pride I have. It's incredible. And this book, Humility, talks about like pride is really like the root of uh, the root of the the enemy, right? The Mm. pride in us. And we all have this Pharisee within us, but it's really this idea of being humiliated. And when we are humiliated, it's an opportunity to increase our capacity for love. Mm. Love for our enemies, inviting Christ into the being the fullness because we are nothing without Christ. And I was talking to this client, I'll go back to that story because of everything that's happened to him, divorce and everyone else seems to be being blessed. It's like, what would it look like to experience this? as humiliation mm. that'll draw you closer to Christ because he's been more humiliated than you have. Mm. Like what would that look like? Wow. So that was an example from him. But even, even for me, it's like, you know, I talked to him, I confronted my mom over Christmas. I said, I could have done it with more love. And I had sent her an email like a month and a half ago I set some boundaries with her just so we'd have some space so there's no communication so we don't get re-triggered but recently we've reconnected over email we're gonna have a conversation over zoom next week but it's just like i needed to own my pride in the fact that i didn't handle it the way that christ would have handled it and like i i was i was able to be humiliated to say mom i also made a mistake yeah but here's the big kicker of humility that i love what andrew murray says I feel like I'm a person who's willing to be humiliated so I can like, I'll apologize, I'll reconcile. But what does it look like to have a soil of humility? To actually not need to get to that point because you didn't, because (laughs) you weren't prideful. Yeah. Because you weren't irritated. And that's what I'm just trying to grasp every time I read this book. It's like, my soil is pride. Hmm. And most people is because of our flesh, yeah. but that's what he's getting at. It's like, what does the soil of humility look like?
0: Yeah. That's where
1: the fruits of the spirit come from. If you look at the fruits of the spirit, humility isn't in there, right? It's fascinating, right? Mm. Because humility is the only way to experience the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then we experience all the fruit. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, man, like I, I, I have moments of humility, yeah. but am I a humble person? Mm. And like, I'm saying that for myself. It's so challenging as a husband and a father and a a coach to other men. You think I would be like the humblest. No, I am not. And it's like, it just can't help but give that message to people more and more of like, what does it look like to be okay with humiliation so that we can actually suffer with Christ more?
0: Yeah. Dang. That's so good. And And again, this is like a very much on the kind of proactive side of it because uh I've heard people say before, like, oh, you know, be careful, like, never pray that you'd get more humility because God will humble you, you know, no problem. <laughs> like, you know, I've heard, I've heard people say that kind of stuff before. But I remember I, I did a, a deep dive on this at one point because I've always been very fascinated by the concept of humility. And I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where it said God humbled so-and-so. Like that line, at least in my translation, it was not there. But what I did see was scriptures like James where it says humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble thyself. Um, I think it's in Matthew where Jesus says he who humbles himself will be exalted and he who exalts himself will be humbled. And it's interesting how much we play a role in that, in walking in that humility and doing it every single day. Like you said, I love that language, like wanting to have like a soil of humility where like humility is our nature, right? And it is our new nature. It's just a matter of uncovering that and tapping into it. So I, I think it's amazing, man. We we probably could do a, a second part here. Maybe <laughs> we'll right. have to do that later, because uh, this is really good. But um, maybe to wrap it all up, for people who want to find out a little bit more about what you're up to, uh, the inner child work, we referenced a couple books today. So we'll have to put links in the show notes to all that for sure. But anything beyond those books, uh, where should people go next to Keep the ball rolling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Secrethabit.ca is the best place to go. That's our hub for all of our resources, getting in touch for coaching, joining our free community. Uh, In the free community, there's some free courses. There's opportunity to connect with other guys. But ultimately, if you want to get coaching, hop on the website, send us a message. We can book a 30-minute call and really figure out where does your inner child need help. And I'd love to offer 30 minutes just to talk about how would i approach that mm-hmm. and then let you make a decision if that feels like the right fit so that's how i work i'm always big on helping guys understand like this is what a session would look like yeah. times that by eight or ten mm-hmm. and if you think this is good in 30 minutes let's do that for like eight or ten hours and it'll be really awesome
0: <laughs> that's awesome man we'll put links to the show notes and everything um sean this was a real treat man yeah, thank you for being here in person absolutely according to this is fun such, such a pleasure such a joy man all right, all right. Well, there you go. That was my conversation with Sean Bonito. I don't know about you. It feels different in person for me as an interviewer. So I don't know. If you guys want to give me some feedback on that, that'd be cool. I'm kind of curious what it was like for you guys. But I really appreciate Sean. I love his, his heart and his sincerity. And he is so gifted in some of these areas where he's a bit more specialized and focused. So go check his stuff out. I know that you will glean and you will learn a ton from him. And, um, and there's just a, a lot of wisdom there. And maybe you were listening to this and you're thinking, okay, yep, I see it, Sathya. I'm starting to connect the dots. I've been listening for a while, but I've been on the fence about reaching out. And you know, maybe you can see now that if things continue and you don't get to the roots of your problem, you are in for a world of hurt. Well, I want to let you know it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, there are hundreds of men right now who have chosen differently by participating in what we're doing here at Deep Clean. And there's no pressure, but if you're interested and if you're really serious about making change and getting to the root issues and you're ready to do the work, book a call with someone on my team and let's see if we can help you out. The link is in the show notes. It's about a 45 minute call. We take our time understanding your situation. If we feel like it's a good fit, we could talk about what it would look like to participate. And if we don't feel like it's a good fit, we'll just give you some resources and, you know, we'll try to point you in the right direction. It's really about serving you guys and making sure you get some value from that call. And I really, in my heart of hearts, I really do believe these are some of the most valuable things that we offer. We give away our book for free. Sure, the podcast is free and it's daily. There's free content on Instagram every single day. But these calls are where you get to speak face to face, heart to heart with another person. You get to share openly and, hey, you get some hope. You get a chance to actually carve out a path for recovery in a way that's really, really personalized and impactful. So if that's you, now's your time. Now's your moment. The link is in the show notes. Book a call with my team. We'd love to speak with you. In the meantime, I want to thank you guys so much for listening, man, much love in my heart. I so appreciate this. And look, if you saw some value in this, or maybe you know some people who would like to hear this content, make sure that you share it with them. In the meantime, love you guys. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.